Welcome to Foster Carolinas, connecting the Carolinas to voices of foster care. L-O-T, the place I want to be. Come and sit down, have a foster chat with me. I am so excited to be back in the podcast room with my friend, Kristen, telling her story. Kristen, I have to tell you that you have so much courage to tell your story. There's a lot of youth that have aged out of foster care that do not tell their story um, because of the trauma or whatever. But honestly, a lot of, I would don't blame y'all. You just want to forget about it. You want to act like it didn't happen. So thank you for being courageous mm-hmm. and stepping forward to to tell your story because I know it's hard to do that. So um, we'll catch back up. We are in high school, I guess. You said around eighth grade, there was a teacher you would meet with at 6 a.m. and she really um, loved on you and just, I don't know, she seems like a pretty special person to you. Mm, She was, Miss Whitmer. Um, Going into high school, I was determined to be normal. I was determined as much as I could no matter how crazy things are going on at home, I was going to appear as normal. And so I did things like student council and soccer and, um, and none of my friends, like they knew, like very few people in my life knew how much I was struggling at home and ended up being even student by student body. Sorry. I actually ended up being student body vice president and no one knew I was in foster care until one day one of the social workers and that lovely logo on the side of their car picks me up in front of the school after he'd gotten back from a, a field trip and people started putting stuff together and oh, I was mortified, you know, any chance of just like skirting under the, you know, I just wanted to be invisible and I just felt so seen and um, I had friends that didn't understand and I had friends that I felt would always kind of complain to me about their normal drama at home. Stop talking to me. Cause they, I feel like on one hand people wanted to not compare their situations to you, but on the other hand, most people had no idea what to say. Yeah. And so I felt like I had just lost like this huge sense of normalcy, um, my sophomore year. And that I think, um, was probably the time that I started the most serious self-harm. Um, I had unfortunately just lost my first parent to suicide and my dad served in the Navy for a long time and he was a hero and he was somebody that was just incredible and having battled, you know, suicide ideation for most of my life, I totally got it, you know, but it didn't make it any less hard because that also was like my chance of a future, my chance. Cause like my dad loved me and he, he was trying to fight, you know, and he was trying to, um, do what he could to be in my life. And I think that is when I lost a lot of hope and I ended up attempting again shortly after I had been separated from my little brother and he seemed to be living like this normal life. And which is hard because growing up, like I felt like, cause we're eight years difference. Like I was his mom in a lot of ways. And mm-hmm. so I was just terrified. Like, like, like what, what's happening to him? Is he okay? Is he being taken care of? And then when I saw him, like, just having this seemingly normal childhood, it just, I don't know, it created a lot of, like, even more isolation. And, like, okay, well, I'm just meant to struggle. I'm just meant to 
no one wants me. I'm just invisible. And, um, yeah, it was just extremely hard to, to navigate alone. And I felt like if I had been more honest with the church or if I felt like I had had proper counseling or just even a foster parent who was just willing to take the time to get to know me, because by that point, people just saw somebody who was bubbly and fun and also going into hospitals for cutting and self-harm. And like, do you know what I mean? Like, I feel like I was so misunderstood by so many people and the people that know me now the best are the people that have spent the little moments with me. Cause up until that point, like I felt like I had had zero normal childhood memories and like, I had no idea how to like really, even though I could fit in and be bubbly, it was mostly from a place of like people pleasing. I could fit into what you were, but I had no idea who I was. Mm -hmm. And, um, it was just really, really difficult to imagine a future beyond just struggling and just feeling like I was just going to fade into the background until I no longer existed. Well, I think that sometimes, um, normalcy is huge, at least to these Carolinas. We will go over some of our programs and you give us a little report card on what you think. What I've seen so far is incredible. (laughs) Oh my God. But um, we know normalcy is just so important. But also um, a lot of times children in foster care are judged because they, people just think that they've done something to be in foster care. Right. And I don't know how to change that, but it, mm. the end, that's not a choice that y'all have made at all. It's a choice that was made for you sure. and getting people to understand that when you see a child in foster care, that's you just, they didn't, they didn't do anything. They didn't yeah. do anything to get there. Um, <clears throat> so some normalcy things that, that we do is um, one thing I'm struck with is that um, I feel like in life, there's memories and you like hang your hat on good memories. We also hang your hat on very bad memories as well. And so um, one of the things that we try and do um, is give kids memories um, like our Christmas event. It's all wrapped up in this wonderful memory for the kids to remember what a great day. Mm -hmm. So, and then we do a shoes of hope where um, before you go back to school, we want you to have a brand new pair of shoes. I saw your shoe room. Holy smokes. Like <laughs> vans and like champions. My goodness. Yes. Cause again, we so want you normal. to feel normal and yeah. we don't want, you don't want a child in foster care getting picked on because of the shoes they have on or, or any, any reason. So we do the shoes of hope, make sure they're going back to school with brand new shoes. Cause every other kid in school normally is going to have right. brand new shoes, brand new book bag, all, all that. So we do that as well. Um, but we also recognize that it is good to get kids that are in foster care away together mm. so that they can take their mask off because everybody smokes, is in foster yes. care. Yeah. So that's common what, language. Exactly. So yeah. that's what bridge camp is about. So in the summer oh. we do bridge camp. And what's funny is the kids that come, they don't always know they're coming to a camp with kids. In, so the first night, like their, their guards all up, they're like, Oh my, sure. but then as they start telling their stories, they're like, that's my story too. That's oh, my story too. Oh my and then they just <laughs> share in their stories. Wow. Um, and there's some kind of bond with them because they've lived through the same thing. Absolutely. Um, so Absolutely. we strive to, in everything that we do, again, Bridge Camp is around an experience too. Um, we have a, a photo booth there because pictures are so, so huge. Um, you know, and as an adoptive mom and knowing when I adopted my son at 19 that I did, 
didn't have a clue what he looked like as a baby. And you don't think about those things until you do think about those Absolutely. things. Absolutely. Like, Absolutely. you know, when, when him and his wife were expecting their first child, like, and he was born, does he look like Chris when he was a baby? Oh, I don't know. Absolutely. Because there's not really a whole lot of pictures to show or whatever. Right. Or when they went to get married and you want to put all these fun photos together and I can find three of him. Oh goodness. Yeah. So anyway, so that's one of the things we, we try to do with our events and our different programs is to give these kids really good memories so that maybe last Christmas was horrible for them. Maybe like my first placement, he was taken in around Christmas time. And so Christmas just triggered him. Mm. He, he was so young. He didn't even know that it triggered, but right. it did trigger him. Oh, yes. And so yep. trying to um, make sure that you know, our 12 hours of Christmas or like Norman Christmas, it is a, it's a huge party. It's not just come get gifts. It, yeah. It's a party. We are celebrating these kids. We're making them try and feel normal. So normalcy is just hugely important to us mm -hmm. as an organization to give that back to kids. But I think that if social workers are listening to the podcast, um, I have yet to talk to a kid that grew up in foster care that says, oh, that white man with the logo on the side. I love mm. it. It just makes my day when you show up <laughs> to pick me up. So understand, I mean, just like the yeah. smallest thing that could have changed your life that day is if somebody would have thought yeah. maybe picking her up from her high school where nobody knows she's in foster care right. in a DSS van is not a smart decision Yeah, and consider the trauma that we're inflicting right. on top of, trauma. Absolutely. So, um, for anybody that's listening, just remember these kids just, you hear Kristen's telling yeah. you, she just wants to be normal. They just want yeah. to be normal in high school. They don't want to be the kid in foster care. Right. Um, and so just remembering that. So, Absolutely. and I think something you said before, I think creating self-awareness in myself was the greatest gift I ever gave myself being around other former foster youth and being able to hear their experiences created so much less like it took layers and layers of shame off of me people that are extremely well-adjusted mentally healthy doing great things for their lives and others around them and the kingdom had similar experiences in foster care where they felt misunderstood they felt you know p labels were put on them like borderline or like you know bipolar which that weren't even really true because you're trying to navigate a situation that is completely impossible without other people in your life being trauma informed and aware of how their little tiny things that they're doing like showing up in a van creates so many behaviors that are just in response to not even be able to have the language to say it really shattered so much for me in high school when you did that. But instead, I'm going to carry that and I'm going to show you that. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So being able to be around other former foster youth has been one of the greatest blessings. And there's so many of them I learned from and I get to give back to and it's great. So I just commend you on doing the bridge camp because that is powerful. And I actually know some youth. Um, one of my best friends is a foster parent and two of her team boys went and they loved it. Oh, really? That's yes. awesome. I won't say their names for privacy reasons, but... Um, they just reunified and they're doing amazing. And um, I didn't actually know it was that until I, I learned I was coming here and I was able to connect with a friend. So um, thank you so much for what you do. It's just, I don't think you understand. And then if you haven't, if you're listening, you haven't been here to walk around their warehouse and their offices, there's just so much love and intention and was so missing in the system because there's almost like, it's either a one size fits all with high accountability, Right. Or there's a, 
um, a free for all and all social workers and case managers can make up the rules to fit each kid. But then there's low accountability. And very rarely do you see those two things merge in high accountability, high intention and high individuality to see actual healing in these kids. And the love that you guys do and the relationship building is just so incredibly healing. And that is truly what sets these kids for success, right? Because it's not just taking a child and putting it through the same system it's always gone through because we know that doesn't work, right? It's wraparound services. Like we're going to make it sure that if you are not feeling supported, it is because you are actually choosing not to be, you <laughs> <That's> know? <right. laughs> and, and too, like going back to the very beginning, like your adoptive son was someone that I looked up to in care. He was one of my best friends. Like I was so, when I actually watched his adoption video for the first time, I bawled. I was so, I even prayed. I was like, Lord, please like fulfill that desire of his heart because he's such an incredible guy. Like there's no reason that that kid should have gone through what he did and not be placed into what you have for him. Um, so just having this happen 15 years later and us sitting across each other is like, it's just a God's heart, right? Like, and it's just so stunning. So thank you so much for having me and um, and hearing me. And I know there's there's a lot we didn't cover about my story, but, you know, at the heart of it, I feel like if agencies, social workers, foster parents could really have almost like a, a look back into every moment that has broken their child's heart and their spirit and they're seeing this kid in front of them. And if they could truly understand that, then they would see what you see. It's just a kid looking for in intention, care and wraparound services and just relationships that are so healing. So, so one thing that we do intentionally with our bags of hope is um, we embroider the kid's name Aww. on the front That's of the bag. So cool. I think I saw one outside. In their favorite color. Um, and that is very intentional too, mm -hmm. because I know kids in the system, um, we've had comments like when they come to Shoes of Hope, I, I literally had this happen. A little girl sits on the steps on her way out of the church where we were having the event to take off the shoes. No. And I said, what are you doing? She said, I have to give them back, right? Oh, man. And so That's we are good. very intentional with this is your bag. It has wow. your name on it. Yeah. But also, like, God knows your name. Like, this is, mm. he knows your name. He knows your favorite color. He right. knows every hair on your head. And so that kind of starts, our services kind of start with the bag of hope and then follows. And everything we do is intentional and for a specific child. Even we do life boxes and those are for mm -hmm. kids that are 18 to 21, aging yeah. out. And so, but again, we're going to talk to you and find out what you need. Absolutely. Um, because I don't want to give you a basket of stuff you cannot use. Absolutely. I want to give you a basket yes. of stuff that you can yes. use. Um, so I think that, it, and, it sh and it shows the youth something when you're very intentional, not this is what we got for you, but what do you need? Right. And, and even down to like, we just opened up our Christmas wish list or whatever. And we actually, it's hard work, but we get wish lists from the family. Wow. So we know that. Kristen wants whatever, <laughs> fill in the blank. And so boba. give me all the boa. Yeah. <laughs> so, so anyway, we're very intentional in all of that. And, um, this has just been great having you here. I'm no. going to go ahead and invite you to bridge camp. Would you come? Oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I've always wanted to go to camp. We would, oh man, we would love to have oh. you because I think that what these girls need to hear mm -hmm. is that you can make it to the other side. And, um, I know you talked about several suicide attempts and I'm so glad, I'm so yeah. glad 
but none of that worked. I, I'm so glad you're still here. Um, you. you are worth it. Mm. You are worth it. Great, baby, cry. <laughs> I know, me too. <laughs> oh. So thank you, Kristen, for coming Absolutely. on. Um, I'm going to ask you one more question. This is kind of your chance. Like yeah, in the state of North Carolina, we're desperate for foster homes. We don't have enough. Um, so if there's somebody that's kind of like teetering on that line of, gosh, I really feel like God's calling me to this, or I feel like I, I sh- what, what, what would you say to them? I would say there has been a misrepresentation of boundaries. We have gotten to the thing where everyone needs to have healthy boundaries, which is a good thing. But I think it's been misunderstood as a, a way to not feel uncomfortable. There is some uncomfortableness of foster care, of the system. And it is hard for foster parents. And if you don't have good community, work on building a good community around you and a good church family and reach out to partners like least of these and learn as much as you can and then step in in whatever way that you can, because I promise you these kids are going through 10 times more uncomfortableness that you will ever have as a foster parent. And, and I look back at some of the good foster homes I was in, man, tangible love of God happens when someone sees you and loves you and cares enough to reach down and be gentle with you and say, no matter what chaos or storm is going around you, like I see you and I'm not leaving this moment until you feel safe versus just safe. Right. Mm -hmm. That's so important because I think my entire life up until I hit those points where I had those really safe places, I knew I was safe but I couldn't look anyone in the eye. I couldn't go into a grocery store and feel like the world wasn't crumbling around me because I never felt safe. And that is a genuine gift from God that he can give to someone. Um, and you can do it. It's, it's going to be, it's going to be crazy, but you know, God has given, given you the ability to be on this earth to make a difference. And I can't think of a better calling than to reach down and care for those that um, could be at the end of the rope. Yeah. Could be absolutely. So I hear you saying, lean into it, whatever it is. Yep. And people come up to me all the time. They're like, I don't want to talk to you because I feel like you're going to, you know, want me to be a foster parent. And so what I tell people is, well, what what's another actionable thing that you can do for children in mm. foster care? You know, maybe moving them into your home is not your first okay. yes. Yep. Whatever it is, lean into that. Yep. Maybe it's volunteering. Coming Ma- alongside a foster family. Yeah. Just being there for them because I mean, I'm single and I fostered single and I adopted single. And there's so many gaps that I had to seek outward for to be filled. And sometimes it's simple as, hey, can you please pick them up from school today? I'm running late at work. I don't, do you know what I mean? Like it can be so simple. And I actually have a group text of people that are in my life that really I trust and I love. And I'll just send a text of like a prayer request and getting back their like prayer and their, their words of encouragement and their Bible verses. That means so much to my heart. It keeps me going, sustaining me. So it's endless of what you can do to step in for sure. Next time, we're going to talk about what you're doing now. Oh, wow. Now that you're older and you're out of okay. the system, what are you doing now for children in foster care? What is your yes? Because I we okay. haven't really talked about what your yes is. Okay. Awesome. Thanks for joining us today for Foster Carolinas. Were you inspired by something you heard today? Well, we want to encourage you to make the next step, whatever that is. Everyone can do something for children in foster care. If you're not sure where to start, go to our website at www.lotcarolinas.com and see what you can do.